HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My Family Recipe is a new podcast from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network, bringing you cherished heirloom recipes and the stories behind them. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Souther Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. We're almost here on uh, the, the end of spooky season. How you how are you uh, holding up with all that? Wait a minute. Is, is the end of October the end of spooky season? I thought spooky season was kind of like all the way up to closer to Thanksgiving or Christmas. No, I think. No, 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 no. It's it seamlessly transitions from spooky season to Christmas. Like that's just how that's how it works now. Um, <laughs> you, it's the second that Halloween is over when you're all waking up hungover at you know 11 a.m. on November first. That's when you got to go outside and take down all the inflatable crap that you have in your front yard. That's like you know the witches, the pumpkins, the skeletons, all that, and replace it with reindeers and Santas. That's that's. Didn't you get the memo? I think Congress passed that bill a few years back. I am so out of the loop on this stuff. I will say this. I was in the grocery store just yesterday, and I noticed eggnog, but right next to the eggnog was pumpkin eggnog. So I feel like that's the the bridge, right? We're crossing over. We're getting out of pumpkin-y whatever season with pumpkin eggnog so we can move into standard eggnog. (laughs) See, I feel like I feel like this is our fault. I feel like because we just stood by when Christmas season just ate Thanksgiving, which used to be this nice DMZ between Halloween and and the holiday season. Now we're having this like you know encroachment of the the you know the holidays on October, which is too early. Um, I I had a similar experience. I put it on Instagram where I encountered pumpkin spice hummus. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw that. Store. Uh, yeah, that's that's spooky. <laughs> we've got uh, we've was, it, it, too was, far. We've gone yeah, too was, far. That man. was shocking. That was shocking to me. Um, I have some news to report, and I think you're in the same boat. I went for the first time since March of 2020, or before, because I don't even remember the last time I went to a movie theater and saw a movie in a theater. What'd you see? Uh, I saw the same thing everybody else saw. I saw Dune. <laughs> I have not seen Dune yet. I am out of the loop on Dune. I feel like, and and not only have I not seen Dune, I've not read the books. I've not seen the David Lynch movie from the 1980s. I have 
no idea what's going on. So I feel very much like a boomer whenever I go on social media now where I'm like, what are all these people talking? What is this spice thing everyone's memeing about these days? <laughs> well, I don't understand. Well, Help me Greg, out, Greg, the, the, the movie is, uh, uh, you know, set uh, in, in 10,100 and something. Uh, that's the, the year of the movie. Uh, so obviously uh, it's uh, pumpkin spice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Of course, and, it's, it's and, expected and, and, to take over the entire calendar year now. All so, they added a few extras. All fourteen months in the future are now. There was just twelve wasn't enough for the pumpkin spice. They had to add more. Yeah, so so spice in Dune is what makes interstellar tra- uh, travel possible, and it is also a highly addictive chemical. So uh, obviously, it's pumpkin spice. Um, they don't reveal that. They'll probably come out in the second movie, uh, but that's what it is. It must be. Uh, but it was a great uh, joy to be in a theater, to, you know, have a big screen, a, a bold soundtrack, some beautiful visuals. I'm not going to give any of the movie away. If you're a fantasy fan, you're going to love it. If you're if you're uh, if you're not, you'll still love it. It's it's great. If you go because someone else wants you to go. I'm just very happy to be in a movie theater with a, with a flask of Jennifer in my pocket, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, that's the I I know that because I subscribe to HBO Max among like, I don't know, probably like 50 streaming services that I never use at this point. I I know that I could just sit on my couch and watch it anytime, but I don't want to. Like, I love that experience of being- Oh, this is a big screen in the movie. I I think you're cheating yourself on this one if you see it on a small screen. Honestly, frankly, just for the soundtrack, you need to be in that theater sound, you know, that's going to really immerse you in in the event. Yeah. And I just, I I think I've talked about this on the show before. I just love the actual act of going to a movie theater. And I think that people, you know, we're, we're in this big transition in the industry now with so much streaming options with, you know, Warner brothers famously making that decision to release all of their movies on HBO and in theaters at the same time for this entire year and kind of keeping an eye on that experiment and seeing how it goes you know, people were worried like, oh, are people not going to go out to movies anymore? And and my answer is no, because of an experience I had six years ago when I saw Mad Max Fury Road in theaters. Perfect film. I, I don't say that lightly. There is nothing about that movie that is <laughs> wrong and doesn't work. Like, I mean, it's not my dinner with Andre, but it's not trying to be my dinner with Andre. It's trying to be a two hour chase scene through an apocalyptic desert. And it is perfect at that. And there's one scene that goes on for about probably 20 minutes and it's a real nerve shredder. And at the end of it, the music fades and the screen goes dark. And there's about like maybe two seconds of total silence for the first time in the whole movie. And everyone, like I saw this in a crowded theater, everyone had been at the edge of our seat for like this entire time. And in that silence, you just hear one guy in the theater go, <sighs> and then everybody yeah. laughed because we're like, yeah, we're all with you there, man. We're all there. And that is why, I don't know. I love actually going to the movies. I will always love going to the movies. I will always love bringing a flask of Negroni to the movies. Like I did when I saw Venom too, which I also very much enjoyed. Um, and just that act of, you know, we're social creatures. That's why we want to be back in bars. That's why we want to be back in offices even perversely some of us and it's why we Mm -hmm. want to be back in movie theaters because we want to have these pleasurable experiences not in a vacuum with other people around us yeah indeed 100 percent agree uh well speaking of speaking of carrying things around in flask uh 
who, who we got in the virtual studio with us today? <laughs> Carrying around best, in our... That's my best segue ever. And <laughs> our, our little flask of a virtual studio. I kind of feel like I'm in a flask right now. Honestly, I'm just in, in this little tube that I've of a closet that I've outfitted as a podcasting studio. Yeah. So joining us in our virtual flask, we have Jen Quirby's of Brandy St. Louise. Jen, thank you so much for sloshing around in here with us today. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a big fan and I'm just thrilled to be here. So thank you. So where is, where is your flask sized studio? Where are you coming at us? At us um, I am in Dallas, Texas. Now, when I think to myself, Brandy, the first thing I think is Texas. Obviously. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. Pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about why you're in Texas. Um, well, I'm actually a first generation Texan. Um, oh. It's a big deal here. But the rest of my family, um, everyone I'm related to is from Louisiana. That might make more sense to you. Um, a my, more, yes. So my family's from New Orleans. Um, and like I said, I'm first generation Texan. But um, so my grandmother, all my family grew up uh, drinking uh Sazerac's made, originally made with cognac and, um, you know, the, a lot of those original um, New Orleans drinks, as well as the historic pre-prohibition um, ones that we're all familiar with, um, were, as you know, um, about two thirds of them were originally brandy based. Um, and New Orleans was a, um, a, a you know, epicenter for that, I would say, in the U.S. Of course. So yeah. That's kind of where it all comes from. <laughs> and, and where is Brandy St. Louis uh, located? Um, well, I, it's just me. So, um, so it, it is wherever you are, but no, where, where's but production happening? Production is in Cognac, France. Okay, great. That's what I was driving towards. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it is uh, a French brandy, but, uh, it is, uh, technically a French brandy because about 10% of my fruit comes from, uh, is Uni Blanc, the grape from, um, Grand Champagne within Cognac. But the, uh, the vast majority comes from right outside the region of the AOC in southwestern France, also the New Block. So that's why it's French brandy versus cognac. Right, of course. I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of, of brandies in general. I love American brandies. I love cognacs. I'm a big fan of Armagnac. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm super stoked to have you on the show and talk to us Wonderful. about it and educate us a little bit more about the, the category as a whole. And, of course, talk to us about your, your mark. What got you um, interested other than your sort of familial bring upbringings with with being around the spirit in New Orleans, which where I lived as well for for several years, so they tell me, um, <laughs> what, what moved what moved the needle for you to to leap into becoming a maker? Well, I've always kind of wanted I've always wanted to be a maker. Well, since I've been in the industry, I oh, geez, I don't, I, I'm going to date myself here, but it's for many many years. Um, uh, about 15 years, I've been in the industry working for other brands on the you know. I, on the floors of distilleries, on uh, you know, as a national sales managers, I've done startups, uh, consulting, um, you know, just pretty much everything in between. Um, and I always, I, was, I wanted to start my own distillery at one point. I moved back to Texas. I wanted to start. I wanted to make rye down here in Texas, but um, uh, yeah, I kind of realized through a lot of my friends that had been through this uh, that I was going to need a lot more money and a lot more time than I than those resources that I that I, either one that I could afford. And I didn't. I wanted to see if there's any possible way to avoid getting investors because <laughs> I just didn't want to work for anyone else. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do, and so I um, I asked an old friend of mine who who was an importer. I said, maybe there's something to this 
importing thing. Let me learn about that. So I called my old friend John Troy up and um, ended up working for Tempest Fugit Spirits uh, for about three years. And also uh, I was the brand ambassador. A, a, brand, a, a brand I know and love and trust. Love Tempest yes. Fugit stuff. The the feeling is mutual. I've actually, yeah. the last time I saw you, so there, I was with I was with John Troy up there and New York about, I was during, it was right around the election. Oh God, it's been four, five. Well, man. Jennifer, time has become meaningless in the past uh, 18, yes. 19 months. Well, anyway, uh, so, and then I was the brand ambassador for Hein Cognac, so I uh, had some experience there. And then when I was running around to illustrious bars um, in such as yours, Southern, um, New York, and in all over San Francisco, Austin, Chicago, everywhere. Um, um, I well, obviously I learned a lot more about cocktails working for Tempest Fusion, especially the historic uh, cocktails. And um, so I, I kind of I did, did a lot of research, and that's when I found out that um, about two thirds of the original uh, pre-prohibition, pre-phylloxera um, cocktails were originally brandy based, and I was like, why have I not heard of these? And these, you know, and then David went with all these punches and all these applications. Why and why did they? Why was why why did they use gin in French seventy fives now instead of cognac? And then I realized phylloxera, um, you know, wiped out the vast majority of the vines in Europe. So not only could we not get any um, from from that standpoint, but then prohibition <laughs> happened, and um, you know, World War One too. We weren't trading, and so um, for those reasons, um, some you know, rye whiskey was available from Canada. Um, Jen was being made bathtubs around the country <laughs> and other places. So they got, um, so that in bourbon and was in the U S so, um, naturally those kind of just slid in where brandy was before. Um, and I, I just really questioned that and wondered why. So I did a lot of research and kind of development and, and, and tested on those cocktails with, um, with cognac. And I found also that cognac, and a bunch of bartenders and, and people that were more familiar with this than I was um, noted that cognac typically gets overpowered in cocktails and um, is not usually cost effective to put in them. It's I'm obsessed with cognac. It's lovely. It's fabulous on its own, but really it's not necessarily intended for use in cocktails. So, um, so I found a kind of a big hole on, in, in that, a big need in the market for that. And I didn't want to ever make anything that was redundant. We don't need another Fruit Loop vodka uh, or anything. <laughs> Nothing flavored. One is enough. Right. Yeah, one, one's <laughs> yeah, yeah, too many. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I don't even know if they do that anymore. I've seen it. But uh, anyway, so I really wanted to do something that, that was not a vanity project or was not anything <clears throat> superfluous. It just, it was, I really wanted something that 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 there was a need for. So um, that the, then I set out to accomplish that. And then from all my uh, time that I had spent in the region of Cognac, I uh, had some contacts there and we worked on uh, different flavor profiles. And um, and then I brought back iterations, different iterations um, of um, different blends and then um, worked with bartenders uh, to, um, um, to, develop its will to um, assess the performance uh, in cocktails as well as uh, the flavor profile on its own. Um, so and then I brought back little, you know, my little iterations and I bring them to the bars and we try um, 
try them all and, and just kind of see how they stood up. And then we experimented with ABVs from 40 to 46%. And it really turned out that 40, um, 43 was really where I love it on its own, but it stands up in cocktails without overpowering the other ingredients in the cocktails mm-hmm. and even possibly in um, elevating the um, most uh, desirable attributes of the other ingredients in the cocktail. So, yeah. yeah. And I, and I love that you designed this with such a, a historical bent in mind. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I was so pumped to have you on the show today, because you and I are both big history nerds and especially mm-hmm. big cocktail history nerds. Mm-hmm. And and like you mentioned, a lot of the classic cocktails that we're used to today that we think of as like dialed in as whiskey cocktails, like the Sazerac, which they made with cognac, the, what we now know as the old fashioned was the default assumption was you made that with, with brandy. And even this is my favorite. The mint julep, which is like mm. the bourboniest bourbon drink that you could possibly imagine, originally peach brandy, believe uh-huh. it or not. Yeah, so I love it. I, I and I love that that, like you said, this is a spirit that people don't really reach for to mix with because I think you know we've we we got out of practice, and then our American tastes, as American tastes tend to do, gravitated towards bigger, crazier, stronger, weirder flavors, and you lose a lot of that subtlety of you know the 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 cognac cocktails that perhaps would have existed in in yesteryear pre-phylloxera so Mm -hmm. it sounds like kind of your your mission was to almost create this historically minded brandy that that could be used and pay homage to all of these old drinks but also that had a little extra you know 21st century muscle behind it so it could really stand up and you would sip it and be like oh yeah that's that's not rye that's not bourbon that's not gin that's that's brandy right there that i'm tasting wow that very very well articulated (laughs) it's like like i talk for a living or something (laughs) greg's pretty good at radio you know, and something that also you just pointed out too, um, with the bigger, bolder flavors, it's such a, it's so interesting to me that people, especially talking about right now in the fall, coming in the fall and the winter, and all the amazing uh, brandy applications there, but people think of brandy as, you know, a cold weather drink with a cigar and a snifter and, and all that. And, but at the same time, and so people are like, well, you know, a lot of consumers are, are but, Again, I, I mean, I wasn't really even familiar with the category until relatively recently, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to ever talk down to anyone because there really is such a lack of information, a dearth of information, um, education on the category out there. Um, I'm trying to, obviously, my life goal and pursuit is to get it out there. But um, when we were talking about those bold flavors of whiskey and uh, bourbon and, and, and those um People that drink old fashions all summer, but no, brandy's just for the winter and fall. But brandy's it's much more delicate and and subtle. So I'm really trying to, um, especially you know, I'm in Texas and also throughout the South. Um, you know, it's hot. <laughs> I still, you can have a the um, sidecar or really anything that you do with whiskey, you can do with brandy, and it's actually a lighter um, spirit. It's just you know, it's distilled wine, which a lot of which is sort of not really out there as, um, I mean, you can make brandy from any agricultural product product, um, pretty much, but, uh, you know, I just, I just, the seasonality is something of it that I just, um, really want to, I just, I just don't understand why <laughs> I'm just trying to bring it back in the summer as well, but they are yeah. some, well, and some like, really good ones one of, coming One up. of my favorite dive bars on the planet is a place called the Red Derby. It's in Columbia Heights in Washington, DC. And Ooh. they, I don't know if they still do this, 
but for a while they did sidecar Sundays where they like sidecars were on special. I think they were like six bucks and they served them on the roof in a plastic cup with a sugar rim. And I, I put away many, many of those in my early twenties, but it is like, it's a crushable drink. It is not the sort of thing that you have to like, you know, have out of a snifter in a leather armchair next to a roaring fire on top of a rug that used to be a bear. Like it's a drink that you can crush and enjoy and have in, you know, on a, on a roof in lighter Mm -hmm. times when you're being a little naughty on a Sunday night. Exactly. And like we were talking about juleps. Yeah, for sure. And, and my last trip to France, which was again in the before times, uh, I was there in summer, which P.S. is the worst time to ever go to France. Uh, None of them them have uh, air conditioning, uh, uh, which is not the worst thing, but none of them have ceiling fans, which are, you know, uh, I lived in New Orleans for a long time and it's it's hot there. I didn't have air conditioning, but I had ceiling fans. But all we drank the entire trip was uh, Cognac Schweppes, uh, you know, just a... Um, which, which is how they call it there, but it's just, uh, you know, cognac and, and tonic uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, very bracing and refreshing and summery. And I don't think that it's about the base spirit of your cocktail. It's about your cocktail. An old fashioned. Yeah, that that dictates maybe that that uh, leather chair and the bare rug. But a, a brandy sour that says summer to me. Um, so I think uh, brandy's definitely uh, I think all spirits, but certainly brandy can easily transcend um uh, seasonality. Um, on that note, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back and keep talking to Jennifer from Brandy St. Louis. Stay tuned. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it, from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children, about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. You're listening to The Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today, we're talking with Jen Quirbys of Brandy St. Louise. And this is actually, if you're enjoying the sound of Jen's voice, certainly probably more than the sound of my voice, uh, this is your second chance today to hear Jen on a podcast talking about Brandy. Isn't that right, Jen? That is correct. Um, a little while back, you and I actually met because you were on an episode of my other podcast, Backbar, uh, the episode that you're on launched this morning. It's about uh, the history of women in cider making and distilling and the weird sort of telephoned history of the name and the recipe behind the Jack Rose cocktail, which is also a really fascinating story. And I really wanted to talk to you for that episode because as we said before the break, you make a very kind of historically minded brandy, but it's also, you know, I, I found your story as a founder really fascinating. And even the name of your brandy pays tribute to, to a, a fairly important woman in your life. Isn't that right? 
That is correct. My grandmother, I called her mommy, um, but she's, she was Louise Robinson Corby's, my same last name. So yes, I named it after her again. She was, she was actually born in Dallas, um, lived here for five years, about four blocks away from where I live now. And then when she, and then she moved to New Orleans when she was five and, um, she loved her Sazeracs and her um, French 75s and Vieux Carré, but I did it in honor of her in, in that regard and also from New Orleans, but also in tribute to, um, to women um, that have been sort of, um, well, that weren't really able to pursue what we are able to pursue today. And I remember when she passed away, I, she told my dad, she's just she's like, I, did, I just feel like I didn't accomplish anything in my life. She's like, I had, she raised children. She did everything, but they couldn't, you know, go out and, and found the spirits company and go and do what I do. So I so this is sort of a tribute to honor. But they did do a lot that we don't, as we discussed on, on um, Back Bar, that, um, you know, women were involved. We just weren't, it wasn't, it wasn't documented. Yeah. So. And that's, that's one of the really interesting things that we actually brought our, our mutual friend, uh, Jessica Graves, founder of Violet Crown Spirits, who is a wonderful distiller and a wonderful, it turns out, podcast co-host. Um, yes, she'll be here with me. And she'll I know, be here right? in New York tomorrow. She is? Oh, that's right. She will be here in New York oh, tomorrow. Man. Oh, man. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to um, do a little live stream of our, uh, a little two-person launch party for the episode when she touches down at LaGuardia. Um, but yeah, like that was one thing that we were really interested in talking about is the fact that, you know, it's not that women didn't have a role in making these things. In fact, uh, we talked to another guest who's been on the show, Dr. Nicola Nice, who said that, you know, it's not that women didn't write cocktail books. They were writing etiquette guides. They were writing, you know, home cookery books. They were writing these, you know, books that were considered very much for the domestic sphere that all have cocktail recipes in them. Some of them, a lot of them, much more practical than what you'd find in a bartending guide, but no one actually looked at them and said, ah, this is a cocktail book. So they all sort of got edged out of that history, which is a really interesting thing that, that we got to explore with, with your help, Jen, on that episode. I mean, what an honor to, to have been included with those amazing women on there. It was very surreal when you, when I saw everybody else that was on there. Oh, it kind of surprised me. It surprised me too. I was like, wow, this many, this many competent people want to talk to me. I was like, like, <laughs> Do no, they know who I actually honor. am? <laughs> of course. No, that was amazing. And, and Nicola and I have uh, known each other for a bit now. And um, wow, she's just really incredible. She's an amazing person. Um, yeah, it was, learned it was a lot from her. A great, yeah, great, great guests, great episode. Very intensely proud of it, and thank you, Jen, for for being a part of it. Thank you. Um, for having but me. yeah, let's. I I I love that you know we tracked this history that gets to a point where someone can. Uh, uh, you know, we've gone from in just two generations a woman who can't found a, a brandy label to you who not only chose to found one but said, you know what, I'm not going to do an American brandy. I'm going to go to France. I'm going to build in a really big extra step for myself because I'm, well, actually why I, I want to hear it in your own words. What was the, what was the thought process there and what has been the, uh, was it as challenging, more challenging? Was it a total breeze? Like how does it live up to what you're expecting when you set that goal for yourself? Well, I honestly, like I was saying before, I mean, I didn't have to build a distillery <laughs> and get money to build a distillery. <laughs> That's true. 
I didn't have to get a Cooper. I didn't have to get barrels and age it myself. Like I didn't have, I didn't, I don't have that overhead. So, and that's what's kind of really saved me through the pandemic as well. Um, you know, everybody thought um, to bring this sort of back into it, but you know, everybody asked me, oh, you're on, you're on the liquor industry. You must be just killing it after the pandemic. And I'm like, did you run out and buy an overproof French brandy? <laughs> as soon as the <laughs> shutdown happened. Uh, well, I did, but... Uh, I mean, so, yeah. There were a few people that did, but uh, generally that wasn't the first thing that people were going for. So, uh, But I'm trying to bring that back. And hope, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was, that, was, that was fun times. I don't I forgot why I even brought that up, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, so it I seems didn't, to circle so back. To, to start a distillery and so going over there, I'm work- the Cognac House I'm working with um, has been around longer than the United States of America. So they pretty much had it down and I just, all I did and, you know, I'm extreme, I, mean, I just could not be more proud of the way that this turned out, but I honestly cannot even take credit for it because this amazing product, because all I did was follow tradition. I didn't try to reinvent anything. I just did exactly what they have been doing for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the exact same way with the exact same fruit, the exact same families farming the land, the exact same family that's distilling in cognac. When I asked the distiller how long his family's been distilling, he laughed at me. Ah, you Americans, you always talk about time. As long as there's been time, my family distill. (laughs) Okay, all right. Right. So he's been distilling since the beginning of time. It's a a different view of the long game. Yeah, right. I didn't have to hire a distiller. I didn't have to do any of that. So, you know, and then since it's, um, uh, you know, and I capitalized on the economies of scale since they already had, um, you know, they're already, uh, Cognac House already producing and and they already are buying, you know, large amounts of glass and, and materials at the same time. So really that was sort of the easiest part and, and such a joy to go over there. But there's, I, again, I wanted to be historically accurate. Um, and the difference, I love American brandies as well. And I just love, um, I mean, I really want to, like we were talking, Damon and I were talking about um, collaborating in, in many ways, um, you know, especially from the education standpoint, because we're not, American brandy is just very different. In America, we are, you know, in the U.S., we're, we're all about innovation and new and what can we do? And, and, you know, in the old world, um, Brandy and, and France, um, you know, it's, tra- it's all about tradition. This is how it's done. This is, you know, this is the way we do it. And, and in fact, um, you know, there's not even a word for Brandy in, in French. It's just Cognac or Armagnac or, or Calvados. There's not. Wow. So, so mine, I guess in, in some way is a, I bring a touch of innovation in there being the, American that I am, but uh, by the overproof um, aspect of it, and also um, by um, sourcing my fruit a little bit outside of the region. I mean, some of it comes from just right outside, like across the highway. <laughs> the, you know, the the terroir, uh, the AOC uh, designation. So it's just it's exactly the same. But that highway on the other side of the highway, that's brandy on this side. So I think that that's my little touch of innovation. But I. I really love American brandies, but typically, you know, they'll put a little spin on it, like aging in sherry casks or, or bourbon or, or you know, a little American touch on there. So I just did more innovation. So um, that's sort of the difference. Um, also, it's more uh, cost effective for me to, um, to source fruit there um, since I get it outside the region. Uni Blanc is, not, as you know, not 
not everybody's a cup of tea for, uh, it's not a great drinking wine on its own, but it's, as you know, it's perfect. Uh, the acidity and um, uh, dryness of it is, is, it makes it perfect for cognac or brandy production. So um, on it, I mean, in the import part, it's pretty challenging at the moment. <laughs> with right. But I imagine, I imagine the choice to, uh, do a blend of, of grapes that are coming from the AOC and some that are not is somewhat financial, but I, I bet that there's a, even in a, on the American uh, consumer side, I bet that there's a, an advantage to that, which is you can't put the word cognac on your bottle. And I think mm-hmm. that cognac is a polarizing word for the American consumer. Mm-hmm. When you say cognac, I think the American consumer thinks opulent, expensive, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as Greg described, sip it in the leather chair with the bear on the floor, you know, whereas if you just say brandy, we're a little bit more like, oh yeah, let's drink this and have a good time. Maybe make some cocktails and hang out. Right. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Like, well said. Yeah, like I think, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's sounds counterintuitive, but I'm imagining that it's probably a little bit advantageous here. You know, I never looked at it from that perspective, but yeah. Huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, think it's definitely. my, I think it's my years of experience in dealing with bars that are simply polarizing to people. You know, I had a hand in, uh, well, of course, of Moria Margo, I had a hand in a place that served almost exclusively gin. And now I have a, a bar that's only tequila and mezcal. I have a bar that's absinthe and champagne. Like I'm out there trying to just anger people, I think is what my, my <laughs> career goal is. <laughs> get, get them upset. Uh, Love and it. putting them, putting people in a jar and shaking it and see if they fight. Um, but I, I, again, it's just these little, it's nomenclature and it's how we use the language. And I think that uh, to not have the word cognac on the bottle might be an advantage in America. I don't know if that's Especially most, up in Minnesota, Wisconsin. Sure, <laughs> that right. Brand new drink of people. Mm-hmm. Right. The brandy old fashioned uh-huh. reigns supreme. Oh, yeah. It is the, it is the coin of the realm. Um, yeah. So, uh, because I was going to ask, you already answered it, but I was going to ask, why did you choose to to use grapes that are, quote, just across that highway? But I'm sure mm-hmm. it's both financial, and then I thought of this as well. Well, I have access to just far better quality than uh, of fruit than I would be able to have access to within the region at a fraction mm-hmm. of the price also. Sure. Because- yeah. So, so sure, because those lines so- are uh, those lines are arbitrary, right? I mean, they have they didn't have a uh, you know they weren't going out and doing scientific soil samples you know hundreds of years ago when they decided where these lines were. So it's likely the very similar soil, very similar water runoff, very oh, yeah. similar sunshine. Like you know, mm-hmm. it's just a line. It's just a line we drew. Mm-hmm. And with the microclimates within the micro, micro terroir, you know, within uh, within cognac is also very very different. So you know, and this is just really. Right there, some of it comes. I get to, I do get some of the grapes from um, from uh, the from Armagnac as well. There's a there's a little bit from theirs, um, also Uni Blanc. So it's, it's sort of a hybrid between, I would say, cognac and Armagnac, but it, but with the exact production of cognac. So it's double pot distilled, um, aged and blended there in the cellars in cognac. So um, yeah, um, but really, this you know, and and. and you know, cognac is just like we were talking about it. It's a delicate, lovely, beautiful uh, spirit. This, my brandy, I'm not, although I love it on its own and it's that, but it's, um, this is more of a sort of, I was going for like a workhorse versatility, just across the board, plug and play, put it in, 
whatever, any recipe, especially the historic ones, and it's, it's, it's going to stand up and it's going to talk. I mean, it's going to taste just like it did back, um, you know, 100, 150 years ago. So, yeah. Well, I, I, I love that. And I just have to ask, was there, were you greeted with any skepticism? Like, I'm just imagining, you know, the, these, this French family that's been making cognac since like the Cretaceous period, just kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. working, working in their vineyard one day. And this Texan comes up to them just like, howdy. (laughs) Blonde Texan. Yeah, that's me. Have I I got a business pitch for you? (laughs) You know, I'm still, I think that's my biggest accomplishment is convincing them. I just still can't believe they picked me because they don't do it for anybody else. And it's just quite an honor. Um, yeah, no. In fact, my cellar master was pretty thrilled about it. I knew um, just from previous industry experience, I, I'd, I'd known the the house before the, um, the employees there. So I um, was familiar with him, but um, he actually loves working with Brandy because he doesn't, he's been first, you know, I guess he's fifth generation, the cellar master. And um he has been confined by these extremely stringent and, and restrictive rules that designate cognac for so long that now he's like, oh, I can do this and I can do this. And we're experimenting now with different varietals that have not, as far as any of us know, been done in France ever um, before. And, um, you know, just aging them, seeing how they're going and <clears throat> just seeing what happens. And, and, they, and he loves it. He's like, this is just, he gets to be creative and... Um, yeah, so, so I really. So what you're saying is you're over there being a bad influence. The, the, <laughs> you're, you're, stripping, you're stripping them away from the tradition and making them innovate, which is what we do hey. here in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and you know, what's so funny is that a lot of them, like, you know, some of the cognac houses I've noticed are modernizing their labels um, to kind of bring it into current times, whereas. I used a label from that was an Armagnac label from 1837, and they and customized it. Uh, and they were like, "Why do you want to use this old, old label?" Like, and, right. you know, it's just funny. We we really romanticize it, and I, at least I do. Just you know, history and and everything that's that they all the treasures they have over there, and the way they want to be modern, and it's just. It's really interesting. Grass is yeah, grass, grass is yeah. always greener on the other mm-hmm. side of the hill. Yeah. Um, well, I'm excited to get a hold of your stuff, and um, you. that was my next question. You've only been uh, launched since 2018. You mentioned um, where in America are you available? Because uh, you know our listeners are very familiar with the fact that the rules are different in every state, so it takes a while yes. for things to roll out. Where, where can we where can we find you? Um, well, um, so the first year, I'm actually in about, I think 35 States now. Um, that's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, that was probably my hardest thing. Um, especially during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, so on my website, which is Riku spirits, R-I-C-O-U spirits.com. Um, that's, I have most of my retail on there. Um, but then definitely all of my markets, but you know, I'm in, I'm not, I'm not in any control states other than Oregon. Um, you know, for a small brand, it's hard to get into to, um, some of those. Um, and then, um, yeah, California, New York, Texas, Louisiana, Georgia is actually a really good market for me. Kansas, um, Florida's killing it. I mean, I'm, all my markets are incredible. Minnesota, I'm, you know, 
It's also really very well. I mean, anyway, uh, now I'm going to leave out. So DC, I just launched in DC last week, and I didn't know this Woo. before, but they're, they're a, a, it's the number one cognac market in the U.S. I think what? that is a snifter situation, though. I think that might be. <laughs> uh, like outstripping the brandy old fashions of the Midwest? Holy cow. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just really DC, crazy. DC, baby, it's full of surprises. But it's really crazy to see what people are doing with it from Miami to San Francisco to Arizona. Like, you know, of course, in Miami, a lot of people are making, <laughs> I've seen a lot of uh, riffs on um, pina coladas <laughs> with my brandy. And it's just, it's just incredible, the versatility. That's something that I really, which I should have from all the research that I have done, you know, the, the category and with all the, the vast array of cocktails that it was historically, um, that in, which was historically based. You know, but it, just to see what people are doing with it now, it's just the versatility of it's just incredible. Um, that, and I, that yeah, is. so so on our website, it's there. Um, retail's on there, and then also um, I just um, we just added um, an ecom uh, um, edition there, which is amazing. So you can buy it through my website um, through the website. Um, it's actually the price is pretty good, <laughs> cost effective for cocktails. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, and if, 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 you know, if anybody can't find it, I, you know, one woman show over here, I answer all the emails, social media, <laughs> everything. And so I'll help you find it do the best I can. Awesome. She is yeah. the call center. I yeah, have everything. I mean, I'm the janitor. <laughs> the call center. <laughs> you know, that's simply how it starts. You know, yeah. you, you gotta, you're married to it in the beginning. Oh yeah. Um, and, and hopefully, it's a great, hopefully it's a great relationship, <laughs> um, but you're getting a lot of, you're getting a lot of, um, notice from people that we know and love and respect uh wow. the cult uh, and the difference guide both give you high marks yeah. um thank you uh, you've won a couple of gold medals from uh various things so you're out there yeah. making good juice it seems uh, we just thank gotta get you. it into people's hands so we Such can prove an honor. it to them yes yeah. Yeah. yeah so again i would drive our listener to riku is that how i pronounce it riku uh-huh. spirits r-i-c-o-u spirits.com uh, you can easily be found on Instagram as well at Brandy St. Louis. That's B-R-A-N-D-Y-S-T-E-L-O-U-I-S-E. One word, Brandy St. Louis. Uh, we'll we'll have all that on the on our Instagram post as well and in our show notes for you to go check out uh, this stuff. Uh, really appreciate you spending your time with us today and, and dropping some knowledge on us uh, about uh, uh, old world, new world, and making brandy from Texas in, in, in France. How about that? <laughs> well, incredible. thank you guys so much. This has really just been quite an honor and a pleasure. So. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, always, always a delight talking shop I, <laughs> with you, Jen. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and you. yeah, learning us about some, some overproof brandy. Anytime. Yeah. Can't wait to get a, get, get a glass and, and start mixing up some drinks with it. I can't wait for you to other. Let's do it. Cheers. Absolutely. Well, in, in the meantime, that'll be it for us on the Speakeasy this week. Tune into heritageradionetwork.org for many more amazing shows just like this one. And if you want to become a member of the HRN family, just click on the beating heart at the top of our homepage. Uh, that's it. Till next time, everybody. Uh, from me and Souther and Jen and Damon, cheers. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com forward slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>